Hey everybody, welcome to Monster Baby Podcast. We are a curious rump through the world of mindfulness and improvisation. My name's Ted DeMaison. My name is Lisa Rowland. And on this episode, which is episode number 36, which really matters to us, I don't know that it matters much to other people. Well, if you're keeping track, if you're keeping score. Yeah, I just wonder if anybody Checking else off the box. I anyway. imagine some people might have like a calendar on their wall. We can keep imagining that. And Let's imagine just, that. Or like an advent calendar. They open yeah. the door. Episode, episode 36. Here it is. Here it is. And here we are, Ted and Lisa, in your advent calendar. And so our topic today is less is more. That's and right. Checking out uh, what are the ways that we grab for more stuff, like, more what thoughts. Are the, what are the ways that we overfill? So we yeah. overfill moments. We overfill time. We overfill our stomachs or our homes, we overfill with things and commitments, and that uh, the power of realizing how much there is already in a moment. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of a little bit of what we talk about. Yeah, moments on stage, moments in life. Yeah. So we hope you find it enjoyable. Uh, we had a good time. Yeah. Uh, it is holiday season, 2017. Yeah, we hope you have a lovely holiday season. Yeah. On you go, enjoy the episode, and um, later. We'll later. Yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Ciao. Okay, so here we are. Mm -hmm. I could use a warm-up. A warm-up? Yeah. 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 I like that idea. Great. Have you got one that you'd like to play? Mm, a quick word-at-a-time letter. A quick word-at-a-time letter? Yeah. Can a customer know? service letter. Customer service letter. <clears throat> Dear. Sir. Ogilby. I. Have. Found. That. The. Retro toaster has a huge benefit to my well-being. This was unexpected to my self, and I would love to share the benefit with you. And here are the... Components. One. The toaster will emit a spark that looks like a holy flame from Jesus. <laughs> when I sit next to it, I feel the love of Christ. Wow. Two. <laughs> the toaster also emits... A smell that reminds me of <laughs> Buddha. This could lead to enlightenment for me and three other things. <laughs> Those things are the crowd gathered outside my door. The chorus of my angels and toast. Wow. What a huge miracle. Thank you for your um, part in changing the course of my life. Yours sincerely, Gladiola Heathcliff. Dear. Miss Heathcliff, I am 
touched by your letter not only because you chose to share your joy with me but also because you included me in your aromatic experience little did you know that your scent was included in the envelope itself i am enlightened <laughs> i never would have imagined it was this easy to reach nirvana <laughs> would you consider sharing more toast with me or just sending more aroma think about it and let me know thank you so much yours truly heaver ogleby <laughs> heaver ogleby and gladiola heathcliff heaver ogleby yeah i like that that was fun yeah it's a huge benefit you had no idea. <laughs> yeah, little, I mean, just a? you sent the aroma. It was almost like a love letter. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhat perhaps inspired by the rose petals that I've got drying on my counter. Maybe. Right now. Yeah. This is one of the things that happens with, with improv. You know this. I don't need to tell you, Lisa Roland, but we just like take data from our life and then it seeps into shows. That's all we got. I noticed that happened. So you, we last weekend we were down in Los Angeles and you led a really great workshop. Thank you. Uh, on the Bechdel test format, mm -hmm. which we covered in an earlier episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and I learned so much more about it with this workshop. But I noticed that when I was, there was one thing that I was playing as we were in the workshop and I brought something up that was totally in my life. Oh, it was, I was playing a character, a brother of the main character, the lead character. Oh, right, right, right. And I came on stage and asked her if she wanted me to check the to numbers. analyze her Yelp. Her Yelp numbers. And I was thinking about having, I realized that came from having looked at podcast listener numbers. Ah, running your own analytics. That's right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there it is. We'll just run some analytics, that's, I guess. That's it. Use everything you got and then go have loads of experiences. Yeah. So... And pay attention so that you can even use things that you haven't experienced. That you see other people doing? Or, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's fun that way. Yeah. Riches. Well, so I think there was a party, a holiday party. Wait, hold on. Somebody once said, I just have to say. Okay. That I love, I think that it was TJ Jagodowski might have said, you owe it to your partner. You owe it to your partners to live the most exciting life possible, or the most interesting life possible or something. Mm. Do you know this quote? That sounds right. Sounds interesting familiar? sounds more right than exciting. Interesting. You owe it to your partners to lead the most interesting life possible. And I would argue you owe it to yourself also. But if you're not going to do it for you, maybe it's motivating right. to do it for somebody else if you're, if you're going to play. And I kind of love that. Also because I remember somebody once told me, she was like, you know, I noticed that in an, up until... You graduate college, it's kind of your job to, to, to learn as much as possible and experience as many things as possible. There's all these extracurricular activities. It's easy to get to them. You, you know, it's like it's expected that you're involved in things outside of school. Right. Everybody has some other thing that they're doing, especially at a place like Stanford. It's like everybody's got a, a passion thing that they do outside of class. Right. And then that expectation goes right away. 
when you become quote unquote an adult and you join the working world and what you do is your job and you no longer sort of think about, oh, this would be cool. Maybe I'll Mm -hmm. take a drumming class or I've always wanted to tap dance. I'll do that or whatever. Study economics. Yeah. And I, and maybe part of it is that stuff that we talked about (laughs) study economics. Yeah. Right. That passion, but yeah, whatever, whatever it could be for the for you out there, listeners. It's another example of coming up from. I just had a conversation with somebody who was enjoyed an economics class they took recently. Oh, great! But yeah, and I feel like maybe part of it is this stuff that we talked about in our aging episode, which was you get older, you get more stuck in your ways, and trying new things feels too risky to who you are, mm-hmm. feels too threatening. Mm-hmm. Because I know who I am and I know what I do. Right. And if I shake that up, it, who knows what will happen. The chaos that will ensue. Uh, right. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah. Anyway, the end. That's my, that's my. That's your thing. Yeah. I think it's also, okay, so we get our jobs. And then for many people, especially if they have families. Yeah. Well, the, that's just a whole. The, the time, time demands and the financial demands of like, yeah. you know. Or if you have financial stress of like, I just got to pay the bills. I don't have time to take a class or the class is too expensive or. Yeah, of course, of course. And families are like having kids. That's a real jam. Like that's. Oh yeah. I get that. It's hard to, it's hard to pursue outside stuff when it's like all, all consuming. Right. And also when you're taking your kid around to all of their things that they're sponging up. So their karate class, their. Uh, whatever teddy bear making workshop there mm-hmm. yep all the things that kids do pretty sure those are them that's karate the two. and teddy bear making soccer and soccer what else do kids do can't think of anything <laughs> i don't think they do what i did when i was a kid lock picking like that is there a lock picking class for kids just made that oh up. you just made that up i don't know i used to go sit under an apple tree oh stop it when we lived on a farm in new hampshire uh-huh I'd go for, I'd like to bring a book and I just would go sit under the apple tree and read. Right. And that was it. And thus, we, that leads to me today now. Okay. <laughs> cool. There was no Isaac Newton moment of revolution. There was more to that, but there's not. He's no, sitting no. under an apple tree. I just sat under an apple tree. Okay, great. My, my brother and I would play stickball. Out in that same field. Were you like raised in the ni- like 1890s? <laughs> stickball? Yeah. Would you like also run hoops down the main center of the road of town? It was a dirt road. And we lived, you had to go over this huge hill to get to our house. We lived on a, like a hundred acre farm. Which always made the horses very tired they were when all, they come up over, they were that, skittish. over that rise. Coming down the hill, they were very sure, skittish. yeah. No, but there was one time where in the winter, of course, we would sled down that hill. But at the bottom of the hill was a stone wall. Mm-hmm. This was in the field, not in the driveway. There was a stone wall, and like one time, my sister went down the hill on a sled and like slid right into the stone wall. It seems a little bit unwise to sled down a hill where there's a stone wall. I mean, I think that there are ways in. Sure, uh, yeah, I hear you. Did it hurt her? I believe it scared her more than it hurt her. Oh, so it feels like if you know. Yeah. It feels weirder is that she didn't expect that to we come. Give, we coming. can give her a call, patch her in, see. Yeah, Jen, find what out what was what's your memory of that stone wall thing. Um, that was also one of the sites of one of my funniest stories from my childhood. Because we had a, and I'm going to tell you. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Where we had a, there was a pond. 
So at the bottom of the driveway, when you came up to the house, there's a pond below the little area in front of the garage. Where you would ice skate in the wintertime. Would ice skate in the... Have I told you the story? No. I'm just filling okay. in the pictures of this childhood yeah. of like a young boy in knickers from 1895. It all follows. <laughs> Courier and Ives. Yeah. Uh, and from the living room of the farmhouse, you could look out over the pond. So one time my mom you know, let my brother and me, my brother Dave and I go out to play. Let my brother Dave and, and me. me go out to play. And she said... But don't go on the ice. So we go out there. Of course, Dave's my older brother. And we get out there on the ice. And Dave's like, Daddy, go out on the ice. It's fine. But no, Mom said we should. No, it's fine. It's totally fine. Look, it's fine. He threw a rock on the ice. And it's like, no, Mom said we couldn't. Go ahead. So eventually I went out on the ice. And of course, Mom is watching the whole thing from mm. up in the farmhouse. Oh, damn. Yeah. When we came back inside and Mom called us on it. I was like, oh. And it was one of the rare times that we ever got spanked. But she spanked me first, and I was like, this doesn't hurt, because I know David's going to be in way worse trouble than I am. Sure enough, he was. Did you say, Did you lead into that story saying that, that was one of the funniest stories from my childhood? Yeah, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> <laughs> did you classify that as a What's, funny story? I did, because it... Well, yeah, that's, I guess it's not really that funny. <laughs> I was like really waiting for the funny part. No, no. No, it's just a story. What's funny, what's funny to me... It really does, it could have been Tom Sawyer. I'm telling you, this right. is like straight out of a different time. I'm not, I'm not generally big on schadenfreude, the joy in others' misery, mm -hmm. but in that moment, I was. So maybe that's like, it's funny to me for that reason. Okay. That you were like, you, your, your knowledge that David was going to get it worse than you yeah, was somehow armored you against delightful. the pain of the punishment. Right. It's like, didn't, that's fine. Didn't, I'll didn't. take it. Yep. Because he's got it worse. And now it's like... Spanking. Did your mom spank you very often? No. I think maybe like three or four times in my life. Wow. And even then it was pretty mild. Wow. That yeah. surprises me that she spanked you. Yeah. It's not, it was not a, not a common thing in our lexicon of behavior modification choices. <laughs> that was weird. I think just keep going for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't fit in the Courier Knives motif. I actually don't know what Courier Knives is. Really? Yeah. Oh, you know, like the Christmas cards with the, the like, it's the paintings of... Oh, I see. The British, you know, the sleds Country, going across the... Yeah. yeah, got it. Okay. Great. Or the like, the whole town gather on the ice. Mm -hmm. In any case, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Not I'm sitting next to a poinsettia. And uh, and I got a Christmas tree today. So congratulations! Thank I haven't you. set mine up yet. I love Christmas so much. Yeah. Uh, how come? It's so fun. Everybody, the whole world is decorated. Mm. There's little lights everywhere. Yeah. We get to get presents for each other. You get you put a tree in your living room. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I, I love all these things. I was thinking when we were in Los Angeles last weekend, why do I like Christmas carols so much? Mm. They're so fun to sing to. They are the most religious songs that I actually like. I mean, I'm just like, a, like my love of Christmas really has nothing to do... Nothing to do with Christmas. With Christ. With Christ. It has everything to do with Christmas. Uh -huh. Like you... Cult, my cultural experience of Christmas. Uh -huh. That's what Christmas is. I love holiday cups at Pete's and Starbucks. Right. The, you know, the, I, like, I just love all the trappings. You're a cultural Christmas celebrator. 100%. 100%. Okay. And so I find myself singing about, like, 
Hark the Herald, our King of Kings has come. And I'm like, I mean, I don't, that's not my, that's not my business. I don't remember that. But. <laughs> that particular the, That's the feeling. That's the Hark, message. Hark the Herald, King of Kings has come. That's the message of all of those Christmas carols. Hark the Herald, King of Kings has come. Okay, are you done? Because you get what I'm saying. I was, it was giving you a thematic yes, feeling wanna... of what Christmas carols convey. Right, right. And none of, the, like, meaningfully, right. they don't resonate with me, but I, but I love them. I get that. I yeah. get that. I like I like the harmonies, and I, you can hear the same song sung by four different people, and it's totally different. Yeah. You're gonna hear like Usher, and then you hear, you know, Usher's new holiday album is very nice. <laughs> and then Vince, really excellent. Vince Gill comes in, and then you've got the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, but here's a mystery. Here's a holiday mystery for you. The t- the Tupac Christmas album, <laughs> the Snoop Dogg Christmas album, really stellar. <laughs> Really stellar. Lighting the Christmas spleef. <laughs> I don't even. These know are words that you just shouldn't <laughs> say. Ted. Just, I'm just this month, I bought a new set of hats for my bald head, including some slouch beanies. And you told me that I just needed to start smoking pot. So I'm going to start using. You did definitely gives you that vibe. Like you should be smoking some weed in that hat. Okay, but, but here's, this the, here's slouchy, the this slouchy beanie hat, <laughs> yeah. and you should have a hacky sack somewhere nearby. Like this Clearly. is the this is the deal. It's on my Christmas list. Great. But here's a holiday mystery for you. Okay, two nights ago. Holiday mystery. I'm down in Burlingame, California, for dinner. Fifty degrees out. It feels really cold because it's fifty degrees out in the restaurant that we were in. Like, it had no heating, and the door was kind of wide open, so it just was freezing. So it felt really cold. But I go out to my car. Car parked next to me. Underneath this car is, like, three inches of snow and under this one car. Like, snow slush ice. In Burlingame? In Burlingame. And it was actually, it was there when I went into the restaurant, and then it was there when I came out. Snow? What is up with that? It's not like... There's a ski resort. Somebody emptied a bag of ice under his car. This wasn't just, it was like eight feet by three feet. Like and a it was drift? slush. Yeah. It was like would be left behind on the road. Maybe after. they maybe there was like a maybe there was like a an event where they made fake snow. That's probably the best guess we can come up with because other than that, the friend I was with suggested that there are a lot of interesting microclimates on the peninsula. And I was like and that's, that one is about pretty four micro. by six. Yeah. A little tiny. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, let, let's get to it. Happy holidays, people. I, I say we go with our newly discovered topic. Yeah, Lisa's got a topic for us that... Uh, it just seems interesting. I've only heard the word. I haven't even... I have given it that little consideration. Which is crazy. Yeah. And the word is less. Less. Yeah. L-E-S-S. Yeah, less. I forget why I was... Oh, I think just like pursuing less, the intentional pursuit of less. And there's something interesting about, I think there's some interesting things that both Imparvan Mindfulness have to say about that in a way. Hmm. And so, yeah, I thought it might be interesting, but I don't know what it will come of it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, right off the bat, it reminds me of our episode on uh, a B average, right? That improv mm. maximum that Patricia Ryan Madsen has taught. Mm-hmm. The sort of, you know, aspire to less and see what happens in in the wake of that. But I, this this feels a little bit different. So yeah. when you, if somebody says to you, if somebody uses the word less on stage, 
what does that mean in an improv sense? Well, I, I guess the, the thing that, that seems like it might make sense in improv is kind of an idea of less is more. Mm -hmm. So you can do way less. You don't need to do so much. You can do way less and, it, and it's still, and it's interesting. It's, people want to watch it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be making a whole lot of stuff happen in order for something to be compelling to watch. Sure. And I think maybe this came out of the Bechdel test. I was just thinking this. A little bit because there's no plot. I mean, there's a lot of other things. So in a way, this also has... Well, let me finish a sentence. Because... So it, maybe it became, came up because of the Bechdel test because there's no plot. You're not making anything happen narrative-wise. Right. You are making other things happen. Right? So... They're emerging out of the... Well, you're putting Scenes effort and attention into relationships. Yeah. So, you, so you're refocusing your effort a little bit, but that can feel like that can feel like nothing's happening for companies and troops and groups that are really narrative driven. It's like, well, then what are we doing? And there's nothing happening. Right. And I, I think one of the things that I'm really jamming on in improv right now is that there's always more in the moment that you're in than you think. Mm, to there's be discovered. Always more there. Sure. Simply restating what you just said in another way inspires your partner in a different way. Yeah. Whatever you just said, you can give examples of it. You can dive into that. You can leave a little bit of silence and see what you notice in the interim. There's just more. There's just more in the moment than you think. Right. And a lot of people, I think, skip over the tops of moments. Yes. Almost like, all right, well, we okay. I heard that. Let's carry on. And it's like, wait, explore that. Yeah. What if you explored that a little bit? Explore whatever that line was or whatever that moment was just like sink in, Dive sink into, into it. a little bit. And you don't need to make anything else happen. You can make yeah. less happen. So for listeners who may not know what, what the Bechdel test is, that was a, in response to a, a measurement of films and plays and yeah, other... Yeah, a survey. Sort of like survey research of what the breakdown is between men and women in yeah. speaking roles, lead roles, crowd scenes, like how... How and to what degree women are depicted on stage? So based on this notion of uh, uh, this test, this metric that says, are there two named female characters in this production who speak to each other about something other than men? Is that in the, at least one scene. In at in least one scene. Yeah. So pretty low bar. Yeah. But so, so this format that you developed is a way of drawing out women's stories and having well, the women be the focus putting, of the... Putting complicated, multifaceted women at the centers of their own stories. Love it. Where women are not accessories in the stories of men, which they just to, to a vast majority of them are in film. Right. So the Bechdel test is sort of a, a pithy, recognizable title. The the statistics I'm responding to are are eighty percent of lead roles are men, lead, of, of protagonists are men, seventy percent of all speaking parts are men, eighty seven percent of any crowd scene is made up of men. Yeah. On average. Not completely, but on average. Meaning there's just, we're just not seeing women. We're just right. not seeing them up there. Yeah. So this is a wonderful format in that it elevates and focuses on these stories of women. And I love, one of the things I love about it is it, it promotes this notion of less or this practice of less because we get three characters, each of whom delivers a monologue at the opening of the show, and then we focus on their lives. Yeah. And the reason why it's less is because it's not really a story sort of like what comes next what comes next what comes next but it's really a a character profile or exploration 
where we say, okay, this is true. What else is happening in her life? What else is happening in her life? So we're not building a forward moving narrative. Mm-hmm. We're just sort of sitting in whatever might be going on for her. And, and the double, doubling down on this idea of a complicated, multifaceted character. So we see her at work. Let's see her with her friends. Let's see her with her parents. Let's see her with her kids, with her lover, with her husband, with her, you know, just like what, how is she in all of these different ways. And we yeah. all have places where we're strong and where we're a mess and where we're on top of it and where we're awesome and where we're not, you know, like we just all yeah. have all these places. And so the show is there to explore all of those pieces of three different women's lives. Yeah. And then each moment within the show is like a snapshot. So we're getting this little window into this woman's life. There was one moment in particular that I think illustrates what we're talking about here that was so powerful. You were actually playing it where the character was this kind of, can I say, butch woman? Yeah, she who was, was kind of butch, yeah. She was kind of, uh, she was a, had grown up repairing cars and was this brash talking and kind of... Was a delivery woman. Delivery woman and pretty strong and physically formidable. And um, she was had gone into an adoption agency. She's adopting a baby. And, and was given a, a booklet of potential families that she might get paired with. And the person who was the agent, adoption see agents... The adoption agency agent <laughs> gave her this this book of profiles to look through and then left the stage. Mm. And so you were on stage as this character with a space object book in your lap to look through. And the person who was doing the lights could have just brought the lights down and that would have been the end of the scene. And would have been a lovely fine ending. Would have been fine. But she left them up. And so there you were on stage, nobody to talk to. I suppose you could have delivered a monologue to the audience, but you just stayed quiet. And, and looked through the book. Had the experience. Just did, did the thing I was there to do. And the lights stayed up. And nobody else came on. Nobody else came on Which stage. is, in my opinion, the real wonder. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't come back on. Nobody else came on. Nobody, yeah. And everybody after the show was talking about hits they had for how they might fill that space. And we just left it empty. So it's actually kind of interesting that we're talking about less in a way. Because in a way what I'm saying is... There's more than you think. There is stuff there. Right. So, so there's, what is it? Well, less trying, less effort, striving, less, less reaching, less. Yeah, like let it, let it sort of simmer. Let it just let it let there be space, and then something is there. Yeah. And and that I think has resonances in my life because I'm trying to intentionally pursue less running around right. fewer things and fewer places. And I'm not making four plans in a night that, Oh yeah, I'll hit this and then I'll go to this thing and mm-hmm. then I'll catch you before you're gone from this thing. It's like, no, that's, it's crazy making. And it, so it's like, what if you just chill the fuck out? <laughs> well, this is so, <laughs> which takes me a lot of, which takes a lot of practice. This is so reminiscent of one of the first lessons that we often do in our mindfulness classes, which is, a mindful eating practice where you take a grape or a raspberry or a cracker or a raisin and you slowly, slowly enjoy it and take it in. So you start by observing it as if you had never seen it before and you just check out what's the color, what's the texture, what happens if you hold it up to the light. How does it, and then you like, how does it feel in your fingertips? How does it feel on your palm? What, what does it weigh? You're just kind of investigating, exploring, and then bring it up to your nose to smell it and take that in. And then touching it to the lips without putting it in the mouth. Like, what does that feel like? 
and then you put it on your tongue, let it sit there before chewing it, noticing all the reactions, the thoughts, the feelings, and then you chew it slowly and swallow it, and then you notice after it's gone. It can take 10 minutes or, you know, seven minutes to do all that. And then at the end of it, almost universally, people are like, I just feel satisfied. I don't need more. Mm. Like if they've had a, a small square of chocolate. Normally I'd want to eat the whole chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. But that was fine. I'm done. Interesting. And so by really tuning in. Oh, that's interesting. And having the full experience, it's satisfying in a way. You don't need more. So I'm thinking about. That's rather, just the same. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. But rather than running around to do four things in one night, what if I just really, really do, one do the thing. one thing and really be there for it? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, and, and I find that in conversations too, like if I'm missing my family or missing friends, if I'm like really tuned in, I can feel connected in 10 minutes. I don't have to like talk to my mom for three hours. You mean you can feel connected in a conversation? Yeah, in a conversation, yeah. right? So it's like, but if, if I'm trying to work on, send an email while I'm talking to my, it just, there's too many things going on. Yeah. I'm trying to do too much. It's diluted. It doesn't, doesn't land yeah. the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's something I've totally been practicing. Like my life is completely thinned out. Part, you know, I was working in a boarding school and my schedule was just nonstop. Mm-hmm. And I thought I need to have space for contemplation, for just reflecting mm-hmm. and living intentionally. And so now I have that. It's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I often notice, oh, yeah, I'm making a meal. I'm enjoying making this meal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel rushed. Yeah. And every now and then I feel like, oh, I wish I had more stimulation. <laughs> like, oh, maybe I should take that economics class. <laughs> oh, you and I are so different. <laughs> or I should or I should go skating on some pond. <laughs> but but uh, maybe I should go build a stable for the neighbor family. <laughs> using, Perhaps I should help in the harvest right. this year. Well, only if we get the if we get the Johansons to come and do the barn raising together. Anyway. Ooh, maybe the, maybe a, an alternate title for this or an alternate topic is enough. Mm. In that what is there is enough. Like mm-hmm. there's there's enough here. Mm-hmm. And in improv the idea of the of the first offer. A lot of times I'm watching in coaching I'll be talking and talking and talking and by the time I was, you know, by the time 45 seconds goes by in the scene, it's like, ho, ho, hold on. It's like they're look like looking, like desperately looking for what this scene is gonna be about or what's gonna make it good. And it's like, hold on, it, it already is. All you gotta do is sort of pay attention to what you have. Yep. Like you just have enough here that there's just enough to explore if you hone the hill the skill of exploring it. Mm-hmm. And in some ways I think that's what you're talking about with regards to a single grape or one square of chocolate, that if you really hone the skill of attending to the thing that it is, you don't need much more. That, mm-hmm. that, that is a full experience. I love it. I'm not, I'm not great at this. <laughs> I'm okay at it in improv. I'm getting better at it in improv, but man. Oh, I once took a workshop with Stephen Kieran, an improv workshop in Los Angeles, and he had us do an exercise that was like that, where the, the folks who were in the audience were watching two players, uh, and their job in the audience was to notice what is the very first offer that shows up. Mm. And so it might have been that somebody looked up. 
you know, or somebody made a sound or somebody breathed or somebody said a word. And he let the scene go for, I don't know, 15 seconds, but then he went back to the audience. He said, okay, what was the first offer? And then once the audience did it, then we went back to it and, and the players that first offer. dove into that offer and, yeah. and kept repeating it. And, you know, so if it was looking up and going, whew, it, it'd be like, you just would keep doing it. Like, ooh, wow, ooh, look up there, huh? Wow. It's a ways Oof. up. That's a long ways up there. Yep. Yeah, hot air balloon, whatever it is. You yeah, just, you, you just, just sort of slowly from that thing. tease out of that first offer yeah. what the rest of it is. So what, is. so what is the, I mean, what do we do with that? Right, if the idea here is that this podcast might give people ways to think about life, <laughs> of course there is, you know, slow down and just do one thing, right? But this idea of the first offer and noticing, noticing the first offer and not not just sort of putting so much on, putting so much in, kind of effortfully. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? What's that? Is there an analogy there? I don't know if there's an analogy. I, the challenge, a chinology. A chinology. A chinology. For me is when I'm having conversations with people to not have to bring in where I want it to go. Mm. You know, we've talked about this before, but I'm still working on trying to be a better friend by really listening to what this person's saying and investigating it. Mm -hmm. Ask a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. Look for more. Add add texture or flavor or my reflection on what's already been said rather than bringing in something new or going to a new topic. And so, you know, what's the impulse to go somewhere else? I don't know. Some of it is... Maybe it's boredom or greed. Like I want it to be, the conversation to be about me and what I think about. Or maybe it's, I don't know, it could be just a sense that it's time to move on. But I think that the notion of, okay, let's just stay here and chill out in this topic for a while. And then eventually it will run its course. Okay, now we're ready to move on. That for me is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, a way of being a better human more generous or more giving. Mm-hmm. I think there's also something about uh, when we say less is more that it's tied up in the, the desire for more, to do more, to experience more, to, to have more, have more, like to live this rich and epic life. There's a part of it that's um, this consumptive mindset that I think is destroying the planet. Uh-huh. You know, like, what if it's what if we accept limitations on no I don't get to do everything. Yeah. I don't have to do everything. And I can live I can live in my little within some boundary. And it's fine because there's plenty here, right? So that cultivating this way of being or this appreciation for enough is a way of challenging our culture's assumption that you always have to be growing. You always have to be improving. We need more. Well, you know, it's kind of leading us to ruin in terms of the ecological impact mm-hmm. of businesses and people always wanting more and more and more. I was thinking about that with information. Somebody recommended another great podcast to me today. Okay, how do you, you can't. It's like, oh my God, I already have 30 that I want to be listening to. Right. Much less this one. <laughs> and, and, uh. It's like, well, that sounds like a great podcast, but I don't have time to listen to it. Yeah. So I have to say no. 
No, thank you. Yeah. It's a pretty overwhelming time in terms of information. Oh my God. Yeah. Just streams in all the time. All the time. And it means that you know what's going on all the time and you really you really get smacked in the face with what you're not doing. Yep. And Events, culturally hit. shows, there's things happening, there's people happening, there's, you've got to, you know, like all of the stuff. It's easy to make it happen because it's a fucking Facebook invite. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's just, it's, e it's easy, it's easy, it's easy, which is wonderful. Like that's a wonderful thing. And it, and it means there's this other thing that shows up, which is overload. Right. And there's a concept in improv called improv freakout. I don't know. I, I don't know this. I remember. I, it's like pointy shouty, like, ah, we all kind of get spun up that we're in a scene and we're just like kind of spinning in our own silos and throwing offers out. And no one's really picking up the offers of anybody else. And it's just a, a mess. And I feel sometimes like my life can get to a place of improv freakout where hmm. like loads of things are happening and I'm not picking up the offers that are there. Hmm. And it's really hard because, because my well-honed ability to say yes means I do lots of really exciting things that improve the quality of my life. So you're not talking about improv anymore. You're no, 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 yeah. life, no life. But, uh, but I, that, that mode that improvisers yes. can get into my life can get into. Yeah. I've just, yeah. And it's all up to me. So it's not even like I have a structured job that keeps me tethered to whatever. Right. It's like, no, you, you, you can fly. Yeah. And that's just hard and one, but it's a beautiful problem to have. Is there something that helps you say no or, or remember that less is more? Remembering that saying no to that thing is saying yes to another thing. Mm-hmm. Because then you can be true to your improviser principle of saying yes. Yeah, and realizing that it's not like, oh, you can do this thing or sit in a dark room alone, <laughs> you know, which is sort of where my brain goes. It's right. like, well, the alternative is, I mean, there's like so many things tied up in it. There's this weird feeling that other people deserve my time more than I do. So there's a sort of weird obliging wanting to say yes when people extend an invitation. Mm -hmm. Then there is... Also, the the extreme FOMO, where I just don't want to, I don't want to, like, I, I have intense optimism about any opportunity that might come up. And so, right. missing out on that, my, who knows, like, that could be amazing, you know? FOMO being fear of missing out. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yes, there's a couple of, I think there's a couple of things at play. And there is a little bit of, you know, just give yourself the time to, it, sort of building in cushions. Mm -hmm. feels really good mm -hmm. so I'm doing this thing just just do that thing mm -hmm. I have time on either side of it don't yeah. don't schedule something right up until the moment that you have to leave for this next thing right. like, just give yourself some time I have a friend who when she plans her vacations now makes sure to have a day at the front and a day at the back mm -hmm. of transition yeah it's great so it's not like okay we get out of work at 5 o'clock on Friday we're leaving that night to go somewhere it's... yeah I do that that's what's happening <laughs> in my life it's happy. It just happened. Uh -huh. I mean, flying down to LA, I got out of a workshop at five thirty. I got on a flight at eight thirty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like jam home, change my clothes, kiss my cats, get out. Like, you know. Yeah. And I'm happy I was there on Thursday night. Right, you had a great time. So it's like, oh, how to, right. you know, like that's not teaching me any lessons. Yeah. <laughs> you had a great time down there. 
So it's just, I just got to catch myself when it happens too much. Yeah. And this is where I think having a little bit of practice can, you know, can we reset in any given moment? Catch our breath, notice our feet on the floor, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm here. And then, you know, so it doesn't get that. And then what? Why, do you do that at what point and then, in the and process? Then get, and then step back into the stream of the movement. But it's like it doesn't have to have that hectic, breathless, frenzied quality to yeah. it. It can, you can still be moving fast and still be grounded. So I actually think that, I was talking about this with my therapist. I think that one of the reasons why I am good at that mode is because I'm good at getting to a place and being present. Mm. Like that process, I'm, I have a lot of practice at leaving things at the door and connecting in the moment, connecting with the moment. Right. So it's like, like life is kind of overwhelmingly packed with, with fun stuff, but in each moment, I'm like really there. Yeah. And I think in a way that sort of builds my tolerance for keeping all of these things going because it doesn't feel bad all the time. It feels bad at the transition points. Yeah, right. And then it's sort of... But then I get there and it's like, oh, this is awesome. It's like you've got this backlog. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm, I'm imagining like lights on a meter and your reserves are like dropping. Yeah. Even though you're like locked in and really engaged and energetic right. about what's happening, but you don't see those lights falling down to danger levels until after the third or fourth right, thing. Right, the lights it, being like all of the output that it takes to do the things that I'm doing. Right. It's just, as Patricia Ryan Madsen would say, it's expensive. It's like energetically expensive. Yeah. You expend a lot of energy teaching and performing and leading workshops and doing this stuff. And it needs to be, you need to account for in your time, an hour of workshop equals some amount of time of recuperation. Right. That if you don't schedule it in, you'll break down. Yeah. So you got to maintain the machine. Yeah. And I have not mastered that. Yeah. But I'm working on it. This reminds me of uh, my friend Melissa, who's a yoga teacher, studied with a woman named Patty Townsend, who does a type of yoga called Embody Yoga. And her main mantra is that support precedes action. So before you do anything, you need to have support in place in order to mm. you know, offer the foundation for that action. And what you're saying reminds me of that. Like, are you taking the time to make sure you're, you've got support in place to launch from into action. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. That is different than start anywhere. Yes. Right? Like there's this part of me that's like, ah. Yeah. That's like another reason why not to do something I want to do is, well, I haven't put the support in place well, yet. Well, yeah, it's not preparation though. Right? So it's, what is it? If you, like, what does that look like? Well... It might be um, it might be catching your breath before you step into a door through a doorway for mm -hmm. a meeting, mm -hmm. right? Like, what is it? What's the so the little bit of support that you need in order to give you the strength to do that action? Mm -hmm. um, but it's also literally, you know, before you go to throw a baseball, that you've got your feet underneath you, mm -hmm. so that you don't injure your arm. Mm -hmm. You know, you're including your making sure you're grounded, so you can include your hips. In the throw. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, yeah. mm. Mm. All right. Well, so then having come to this notion of support preceding action, we take our actions, we do them, and we sort of pause again. Support. Is there anything else you'd like to say on this topic or any other questions you have about this topic? No. I, I mean, certainly. 
Of course. Of course. Of course I do. Yes. Of course and always. Is there one that's leaping out? No. 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 I, I will take a page out of the book that we are writing right now and say, we'll leave it at that. If you take a page out of a book as you're writing it... That's how I live my life, Ted. <laughs> that's tough to read. You just gotta, You just got to take a page that you've already written. You just got to flip back. Oh, and read it. Or are you actually taking it out of the book? You know, we can explore this analogy this in depth. Of, it's like a M.C. Escher painting. Yeah. This book is a snake eating its tail. Yeah. Uh, Ouroboros. That's the name of that snake. Okay. Did you know that? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Which reminds me of a funny story. Okay, go play with your wooden toys. No. <laughs> and this one's, this story is funny. Oh, that's for real. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, so, I, you know, I have studied astrology before. Uh-huh. So this is all from the word Ouroboros. This doesn't have anything to do with less is more. Well, maybe. I went to an astrology conference in Seattle once. And there was this guy named Noel Teal, T-Y-L. And he was like 6'5", really big guy, long silver hair, like bright mm. white. Wow. Beautiful man. And he had this big voice. And he was like a high force. status astrologer, right? Yeah. Like he was one of the big wigs. But he didn't want to say the word Uranus, right? Because, of course, as an astrologer, you have to figure out how to say that planet's name without making a fool of yourself. I think you just get it over. Get over it, right? Just get over it. Just get over it. But whenever Noel would say it, he would go into this hugely dramatic mode. And so he'd be saying, you know, like, and so we will see that coming up in November, there will be a junction between Jupiter and Uranus. (laughs) (laughs) And he would do this... Hugely dramatic. Oh, that's really Ouroboros. <laughs> that is funny. That and, is a funny story, too. Yeah. And so when we said Ouroboros, which is the snake eating its tail, it reminded me of Ouroboros. I like it. And Noel Teal. Noel Teal, wherever you are. Hats off to you, man. Here, here we go. <laughs> Planet of sudden changes. All right. Lightning bolt inspiration. Okay. There you go. And I think we now we let you go, everybody. Yeah, on so, that count. We'll catch you later. May may you find uh, satisfaction and fulfillment in the small things. May they be enough. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting exploration. Mm-hmm. Realizing my own discomfort with less. Mm. Clutter is another thing that I forgot to mention. Ooh. I like having things. I like having little things. Interesting. Little little yeah. bits around me. Little bowls full of things. Little bits and pieces. Yeah. I like it. And that, do you find that that gets overwhelming? Well, there comes a point. Yeah. Where it's like, I gotta get rid of some of these yeah. things. Not all of them. I like having some things. Minimalism makes me uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable in my home? No, but I don't that consider way? your home minimalist. Okay. Like you have you have things. Uh, some things. Yeah. Okay. You have some things. Because uh, I have made an effort to, to have far fewer things yes. than I used to. Well, you have far fewer things than I would have if I lived in your home. Ah. Uh, okay. Okay. Anyway. Duly noted. Anyway. <laughs> so, anyway yeah, I thought it was nice. I'm enjoying the notion of uh, that less can be satisfying when we really savor it. Mm-hmm. 
both it's so obvious in the world of mindfulness and in that improv scene of like we've already said enough don't just, bring in another just offer. live it yeah, just, just live in that there. thing now and yeah. I, I want like, it's, it's like a mantra for me like I want to do this with my friends and with my family in conversation there's enough what's here what's here keep exploring it ask another question you mean that's an in, that's an instruction for you for me yeah that's a takeaway from our podcast yeah that's what you, you want to enact in conversations yes yeah cool yeah, me too. I think that's very nice. Mm-hmm. But it means I gotta say goodbye to some of the things that, some of the other things. Fair enough. That fill up my time and effort and attention. I think I'm doing relatively well on this count. My family does a Christmas thing where we each, you know, one person gets one. Everybody gets one gift. You you choose one person to give to. And I'm like I'm having the hardest time putting together a list of what I might want for Christmas. Mm. I kind of don't really want anything. I've got enough. Yeah. Give them a place to donate to. It's a great idea. Yeah. Give them a place to make a donation in your name. Oh, I like that idea. Or an anonymous donation, if you want to put the gold on the back of the Buddha. <laughs> to recall a previous episode. A previous episode. Excellent. Okay. All right. There it is. If you want to get in touch with us, info at monsterbabypodcast.com. We never get any email. We haven't gotten email in a while. And we like it. I'm just saying. We like getting email. Yeah. Yeah. We like getting email. So. And we never get, and it's okay. Maybe people stop listening before this point. If you're listening, send us an email. This is on you. (laughs) All right. And also we're doing a retreat in the second week of June, the 8th to the 13th. That is correct. So be there or be square. Uh, And, you know. And animalearning.com is where you can find more information. Animalearning.com. A-N. Okay. All right. All right. Stop this. (laughs) We haven't done that in a while. (laughs) I know. I-M-A-learning.com. Animalearning.com. Okay. Be well, people. Happy holidays. And we're going to catch you later. Okay. Ciao.